All right, everyone, welcome to the American Aztecs podcast. Once again, I'm Andrew Medina, my co-host, Alec Lozano. We have a very special guest with us today, uh, Houston Dynamos, former LAFC player, former uh, Minnesota United player, Christian Ramirez. Christian, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing very well. Uh, as I mentioned prior to this, um, I am born and raised in Southern California. I'm from Whittier, which is very near to Santa Ana, where you grew up. Uh, we actually played the Quinta High School uh, when oh. I was back in the day. So I kind of did my research on that. Basically, yeah. what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a little bit about your upbringing and about how um, sort of your plight in youth soccer. And then it's a kind of like a two-part question because – I played club in Southern California back when like ODP was a thing, back when clubs were still a thing. And now it seems like it's changed more to a academy system. I don't know too much what the club kind of dynamic looks like now, but can you talk a little bit about your plight? And then can you talk more about um, kind of the second part is, can you talk about Americans doing well in Europe and why do you think they're succeeding so much? I mean, they're popping up all over, especially in Germany. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, the whole academy versus club uh, difference was um, that sort of broke my junior year. Uh, so I grew up in the club system, and I've always vouched for that format just because we had so many games every weekend, and you are able to get comfortable in your own skin and your own game and your development and being able to try stuff uh on one weekend at the Long Beach Invitational um, against a, a silver or bronze team that you wouldn't be able to try on a, on a weekend when you're at Surf Cup against uh, a premier team. Um, so that stuff, I think, really made me comfortable in, in my game and, in, and figure out what stuff I was able to get away with, what I needed to work on. And um, then when Academy presented itself, it was uh, a little bit different because I didn't initially go into Academy right away. I went and I finished uh, ODP off uh, with Cal South and Kathy Hoffman and Steve Hoffman. Um, it was something I felt I wanted to do and felt I didn't want to finish it on, on those terms. And then eventually I did go to Academy um, because it was so-called the, the most competitive at, uh, league possible. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think now like having younger brothers that have, growing up in the academy system um it it definitely is more tailored to players who are super serious about it not to say that the ones that at regular clubs um with the old format aren't serious about it but you you get those couple serious ones and then you get some that are just there to be there um which is perfectly fine um to each their own and uh it but when you have for example my little brothers at the lafc academy every one of those kids idolizes and wants to play professionally, not just in the MLS, but overseas. And I think that that transition of seeing Americans, young Americans doing well in Europe, both going from being sold in the MLS to just straight from the academy um, and then doing well there has done wonders for, for the next generation because they, they see it within their eyes. Um, I know my youngest brother who's 15 has a teammate already who has already signed a professional contract in Scotland. So he's seeing kids his age already get contracts and it's motivating him. And um, it, 
that's just one story of plenty around the United States. Awesome. And, and what do you think as far as what, what is it right now? What, why are so many young Americans to me, it seems like there's just like a confidence level and there's a level of like, when you see a young American playing and you're like, it started with Christian. Right. And then now you're seeing more and more players. There's just this confidence that they have zero fear. Now, what, what do you think it is? Why do you think, you know, why the timing, uh, of it, why, what is it? I think it has to do a little bit with the trend um, right now. American players are hot in Europe. Um, we've broken the stigma of what the typical American player is. And it, a lot goes to Christian and uh, Reina and all, all these other guys who Weston, who, who have broken that stereotype that before they, it was the Tim Howards of the world or uh, an occasional Josie Alter or a Clint Dempsey. Um, but now they, they've broken it and, those teams are starting to really scout and scour the MLS and um, dig deep for MLS players. Uh, and like I said, sometimes it, it's a trend uh, for a little bit. It could be for six, seven months or a year, it'll be guys out of Colombia or, or Brazil because a couple guys do well. So teams start to scout um, certain countries. And right now the U S is on fire. Um, you get, you got guys like even now Jordan Morris that went to Swansea and, um, I heard some rumor today on, on Twitter about Aaron Long going to Reading. Like, so it's not just the young guys. I mean, they're looking at, at, at everything. Um, and it's not just the top leagues. It's the, the second division leagues. They're, they're looking to, to get in on, on the action as well. Yeah, it's very exciting for uh, U.S. men's national team fans at the moment. Um, my co-host is Alex Lozano, based in Houston. He's going to ask you a lot of uh, very specific Houston Dynamo uh, questions, but I'm going to let him take it from here, okay? Cool. Go ahead, Alex. Hi there, Christian. I just want to say thank you for hopping on with us and taking the time out of your day to, to have us, you know, talk to you. The sure. first thing that I want to talk about is a lot of us, you know, we're, we're all waiting for the MLS to come back, and finally the MLS Cup is back, tournament comes back, and you have this crazy story about, you know, this cross-country trip. Can you tell us about what went on those couple of days? Yeah. Um, did you plant that jersey there, like my jersey in the back, or is that, like, always there, by the way, before I get into my story? That bottom jersey always changes. Last right. week it was a dash jersey. Uh, all right. <laughs> um, but, no, so when we were at the MLS's back tournament, um, my wife was pregnant and due basically within a couple of weeks. Um, and I knew that going in that I would possibly have to at some point leave the tournament. And at the time the rules were you leave, you can't come back sort of thing. Um, but there, there was a couple exceptions in, in that. And my wife giving birth was one of those exceptions. Um, and there was a super gray area of the quarantine time needed when I would come back because I was only gone for probably 36 hours. Um, my wife called me at midnight uh, the night before the LAFC game. Um, and I flew home the next morning. Uh, the team put me on a, on a first-class flight. I was row 1A, uh, like flew, flew back. They had a driver uh, ready to drive me to the hospital. Got to the hospital, showered. Um, and then my daughter was born an hour later. We were there for that night and a little bit longer. Made it to my to my apartment at the time. Um, 
two hours later, they called me and said, there's a possibility you could come back and have to quarantine only seven days and you'll be able to play in the second group game um, and the third group game. So, I mean, being the, the player that I am, I was like, look, <laughs> uh, I'm all for it if it's going to help the team. Um, if it's seven days, I'll do it. Um, if it's 10 days, I won't because it'll rule me out of the whole group group stage. Um, and so I flew back again, row 1A on the first United flight back. Uh, it was a short trip. I mean, then the MLS had a driver there. Also, like I had a double mask. I had gloves. I didn't. So I knew I was in that 99% chance that I was in the clear. Um, so I showed up in a separate part of the hotel and they came and tested me every day. They let me out of the hotel room for an hour uh, to go like at one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon to go on a field and run. Um, and then back to my room, they would drop off food. Um, and it was basically that. And um, on day seven, they ruled that I needed to quarantine 10 days, not seven, even though I had been testing negative every day. Uh, and that was the end of it. <laughs> I didn't get to play. I just went back and quarantined for 10 days uh, to not be able to play. Yeah, and uh, it certainly wasn't lost on Dynamo fans how much effort you put to get back into the squad and for the team. And I think we're all really grateful for that. You know, keeping with that sort of uh, mentality, why do you think last year was so important for you to go into the stands the last game of the season and give that young boy your shin guards? Uh, I've, I've been that, that kid before. Um, when I grew up in Southern California and went to the Galaxy games, um, I was always that kid asking a pro for, for shin guards or a jersey. Um, and I, I was grateful to have gotten a couple and also a couple where maybe the player didn't hear me or because um, I've done that as well. Um, oh, I cut out. Uh, I've done that as well. Um, and it's just something to, to show that, like, we're thankful, especially this year. It, it's a risk for anyone to go to, to a game um, and for them to, to do that. For, for them to do that, it, it's, uh, it's something special. And hopefully I can, I can do that more often this year um, and we can have everybody back uh, at the stadiums. For sure. Uh, I wanted to also get your reaction to Mato's message as he was out or as he was leaving. He offered you the number nine and he said, you know, he put that pressure on you right away. What did you make of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoy it. Uh, I have a good relationship with Mauro. Um, I think we showed that we could have been something special if we were given the freedom to, to both of us play at the same time, um, like we did when I initially was traded here. Um, and we knew we knew the situation and we both looked to push each other and um, wanted what was best for each other. And I'll gladly take the nine um, now and uh, hopefully carry it, carry it well and uh, continue moving that forward. That's awesome. I mean, you're going to make me have to get a new jersey, but I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I know. My whole family has to get new jerseys too, so. Um, 
What do you think will be different about this Dynamo squad as we move forward with all the new additions? Uh, I also wanted to ask you, you know, what's it like, you know, for you moving into more of a veteran role? Are you, you think that'll translate into a more leadership type of role for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there is, like you said, we have a lot of new players and a lot of new faces. Um, so it'll be an interesting dynamic to really come together quickly, uh, especially with a shortened preseason. Um, and that'll be important. I mean, guys like myself, Tim, um, Memo, uh, Zarek, guys who, who have been in the league, who, who speak dual languages, can, can bring guys together quickly and get everybody on the same page. And, um, and being that I'm so-called a veteran now, I don't really see myself as that, but um, I have taken on more of a leadership role. Um, I've gotten guys under my wings here and there and, and spoken to guys and um, talked to certain people to, to try and bring them along. And um, I think I, I'm respected in that aspect because of my journey to get here. Um, and so I just continue to be myself and lead more by example of how I carry myself on a day in, day out basis. And um, the results will speak for itself. Uh, that's, you know, that's perfect. Thank you so much. No problem. All right, Christian, uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, all the best of luck in the upcoming season, of course. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Anything else you wanted to say before we let you go? Uh, no, I'm good. If you guys are good. We're good, brother. Thank you, man. Perfect. Thank, you, uh, so thank much. you for the time. Take care. Yeah. All right, so after talking with Christian Ramirez, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk MLS. We're going to talk about some interesting rumors. Mr. Cunaguero possibly coming to LAFC, which I love. Not so sure what Alex feels about that, but we're going to get into it. Austin FC's new stadium, Cincy's uh, new stadium. We're going to talk about uh, Frank Lampard what that means for Christian Pulisic going forward, and then the Brian Reynolds transfer saga. So keep it locked, and we'll be back soon. Welcome to Digging Deep, an Ortiz Squared podcast with former Major League All-Star Russ Ortiz and columnist Jesus Ortiz. We'll take you behind the scenes with athletes and sports writers to learn how they approach their jobs and what obstacles they've overcome on their journeys. All right, everyone, welcome back to the American Aztecs podcast. Uh, had some fun with Christian Ramirez. How'd you feel the interview went? What'd you think? I thought it was great. I, I love talking to Christian. He's always been a fan favorite. He, uh, you know, opening open training, he always goes out and signs things for fans, including my brother. So I, I love him to death. I think he's great. I really hope he gets, you know, more time to shine here in Houston. Awesome. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's funny that you asked that question about veteranship and he was like, am I a veteran? And he kind of just <laughs> like, he's really starting to get into that role because he's had his time at Minnesota United had his time at LAFC. He's a U.S. men's national team. Uh, you know, now he's going back and forth with the U.S. men's national team. And to me, uh, a place like Houston, I think with that team, with that um, that sort of area, and then the, the history that they have, I think it's a perfect fit for him, you know? So I hope he does very well. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to get into a lot of MLS stuff that's been happening. Um, first and foremost, the MLS schedule gets announced. Uh, starts two months later than usual. Last season, we started in February. I believe that's been the case for a couple years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know it's been back and forth. We've, we've gone as deep, uh, as I remember, gotten as deep into as far as into the, the playoffs as like December. But more, more recently, we've changed it a little bit. It's gone back and forth. What do you think this means for, you know, one of the big things, one of the big 
sort of annoying things about being an MLS fan is if you have a team where there's a lot of internationals at play um, and they get call-ups or there's an international tournament, you know, what do you think this means as far as scheduling? Is it, does it matter a great deal? Is it a big deal? Is it important? What do you think? I think if this was a World Cup year, it probably would have been a little bit more of an issue than it is now. I know we're going into what is seemingly, you know, everything is still kind of up in the air, whether we're going to have the Euros, whether they're going to have, you know, the Gold Cup and all these other international tournaments. So right now it's just, I think if we come to that sort of situation, then you kind of say, well, you know, MLS rules are dumb anyway so they may as well continue <laughs> to be dumb <laughs> it's a little bit of uh there's a bit of uneasiness depending on where you live about going to games i think in general you know for me when this when when the pandemic hit i was hit very you know in a very big way of course because of my job and things like that and the mls coming back tournament i was i was sort of uneasy about it but once it got going i was screaming at the TV. I was going crazy. I was talking about it, you know, on podcasts and doing all that stuff. Is there any sort of like negative light on this other than, you know, just the overall normal MLS scheduling thing? Do you feel nervous about going to the stadium? Is there any sort of weird issues with that in your mind? Uh, luckily Houston has, and there's no roof, so it's open air. Um, that makes me definitely feel a lot safer than you know, if I were to go to an Astros game or a Rockets game where, you know, we're closed in, you know, that being said, I don't think I've made it to a game yet just because of how cautious that I feel like I need to be. But my brother and I certainly have talked about going to or trying to go to a game, you know, this upcoming season. Uh, I think, you know, in Houston, because we're kind of kicking off so late, it, you know, we're going to go into the dog days of summer where it is over 100 degrees. So, yeah. That may be, you know, in theory, our, our time to go where, you know, a lot of people aren't really going to want to be outside. Yeah, yeah. That's, I've certainly been at a few games, certainly at LAFC games, where if you're sitting with the supporters, that sun is for those midday, like Saturday games. Oh, my goodness, man. That's a, it's not a fun feeling. But, um, you know, it's weird because when's the last game that you th can remember? What was the last game that you can remember seeing a full stadium because soccer is so you know fan specific mm -hmm. and i think there's teams that heavily 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 rely on their especially when you look at seattle portland lafc these teams that have such a, a big you know toronto much even montreal and, and some of the teams that are very well supported have big supporters groups um, i feel like a lot of them have suffered when they've played at home and i, I feel like that's a big reason um what do you think about that yeah, I mean, I think it shouldn't be underestimated how much fans play a role in, in the game. And we see that, you know, on a global scale, we see that all the time, how how passionate fans can sway game, they can sway, you know, players talk about it all the time. So I don't think it's something to necessarily overlook or, you know, it certainly isn't something to pin, you know, the, you know, poor performances on or whatever. But I think it certainly plays a factor and, you know, it plays a role in everything. Uh, players often talk about how fans are the reason to do any of this, you know, that if without them, the game isn't, isn't as worth it. So I think, you know, having no fans is a problem, you know, financially, obviously, but as well as like for the game, it just makes it that much harder. Cause I know they tried to do the thing with the zoom. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, it just, it wasn't the same. It just, I, I thought the NBA did a good job with it as well, but it was just one of those things of like, you're basically it, it, just watching it, the game at home with a camera on you. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it fit aesthetically though. It fits better in that in that sort Absolutely. of um, in that sort of vibe, you know. And and the way they had they can they even like darken the lights. They even darken the lights around almost like a theater. You know, you, yeah. you kind of spotlight the you spotlight the court and it illuminates and it looks great. Uh, but in a soccer match, you're much more zoomed out. It's a lot bigger. Um, what do you think about like them? the the fan noise do you feel weird do you feel indifferent about that like when you're watching a game i i i'm like kind of on the border because i enjoy like when you're close to a pitch and you hear the call outs you hear mm-hmm. how much talking is going on maybe you hear you know the coach getting really upset and cussing or the, the the conversations that go on with the referees and things like that those are hilarious of course um what are your thoughts on like crowd noise versus no crowd noise uh, do you just like leave it stale because some games it just sounds crazy like you're watching like a you know like a college game or something you know it, it can be really weird it can be awkward what do you think about that uh, I mean I don't really care like it certainly if it, if there's a game with crowd noise I'm not gonna turn it off because oh the crowd noise you know it's uh, it's something that I'm kind of indifferent to I do love hearing uh, you know when this all first started I was actually studying abroad in Italy so we had a bunch of Serie A games in the place that I, in the place that I was staying. And it was so cool to, I was watching Inter Milan. I don't remember who they were playing, but I can remember hearing Lukaku clear as day go ball. Like it was so cool to hear that interaction and to hear, you know, the different players and to even the, I was telling uh, a friend of mine, even just the, you know, the, the ball uh, cleat contact, like that little, like that crisp, like thud. Like that was yeah. such a cool thing to hear because it's something that you don't hear often, you know, and it, as we move forward to, okay, we're going to add crowd noise. I don't remember playing like a big role in, in it affecting any uh, like, you know, soccer consumption or whatever. But the one thing that I will say is like that when they tried to replay games, that was a no go for me from the start. Like, I think the, yeah. it was terrible. Like I, I could never sit down and rewatch a game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's certain games where I love to relive, like for like a very like very historic games or something like that that was cool but if it was just like a regular like you know wednesday night game or whatever like they kept playing for lafc they would play the the galaxy game over and over and it's Mm -hmm. like you know i get it it was great it was a good time but like after the third time you're kind of like all right whatever i want (laughs) to see i want to see something new that's that's what soccer is it's it's you know live uh Mm -hmm. entertainment so that's kind of what you want um moving kind of in that same vein uh first question for you you being a native texan uh, we talked a little bit about this before the pod, before we uh, got on got on the Zoom. Austin FC coming into coming into the league from an outsider's perspective. Me not knowing the landscape of Texas very much. I've been to Texas a couple of times. Um, Austin is a very interesting city as it pertains to the U.S. at the moment. You have a lot of people migrating there. You have a lot of. Uh, it's sort of this new, like I, I, I called it like this hipster mecca. There's a lot of cool stuff happening, a lot of cool art, food, uh, a lot of interesting things happening in Austin. And Austin FC coming at this time, I think is, uh, I think it's really cool for the city in general. And I look at it from a sort of like vibe, cultural perspective. But your first thoughts, the first thing you said was, well, that's not really the case. Can you touch <laughs> more on that, please? Yeah, so, you know, them coming into Texas, you're going to hear, you know, especially when you talk to anybody in Texas, you're going to get a different story. So with Austin FC coming in, you immediately got hit with the glitz and glamour of Matthew McConaughey, you know, this beautiful stadium that they're going to make, you know, all these different things to sort of 
almost Hollywood aesthetic is how I described it. It was, it was very different from, you know, the rest of Texas. And to be fair, that's how Austin is. So I think that speaks to the city and I, I think that's fine. But when I remember when the announcement happened and, you know, there was a few Twitter back and forth with the, you know, official, you know, Twitter accounts of Dynamo and Austin, I remember thinking, this is strange because in Texas, Dallas is our little brother. And if Dallas is our little brother, then Austin's got to be Dallas's little brother. Like they're like a third stepping stone. Like they're not even close at this point. <laughs> yeah. So when you talk about, you know, you mentioned like the championships, like it's Houston, then Dallas, but then Dallas has that thing of being known for their academy, right? Being a youth system sort of like the uh, factory, right? Right. Uh, and they've, they've, they've been close, but they've never quite reached that pinnacle that Houston has, right? Right. And I so think you kind of mentioned, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To, to Dallas's credit, I think they're the envy of the MLS right now in terms of youth academy because of how often they produce quality. And not only are they producing quality, but they're also exporting it. That's something that has to be appealing to every kid in the United States. They're saying, look at Brian Reynolds, you know, look at Weston McKinney. That's where I want to be because they can get me to where I want to be in Europe. So to me, they're the envy of the league at the moment in terms of youth academy. And I think they should get all the praise for it because at the end of the day, we're always rooting for American soccer to grow and right now they're the pinnacle of it but i remember my favorite marketing campaign that the dynamo does every year is or at least they, they used to was houston two times better than dallas and there was a big billboard <laughs> on a dallas highway that said houston two times better and there was a picture of two mls cups and i remember the build-up to that game being so much fun because it was in robertson stadium i went to the game and there was a, a plane that flew over with a message that said houston sucks and I remember thinking, this is such a cool kind of environment. It's 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 so fun to have that that Dallas rivalry back because we have it, you know, in in the NBA more so than anything with the Rockets and the Mavericks. Texans and Cowboys don't really play. They also both suck. And then you know Arlington, the Arlington Rangers shouldn't count for the Dallas people, is what I will say about that. But to have this true Houston, you know, Dallas, you know, Frisco is really what they are. But to have that rivalry was something that was so cool. And I really enjoyed growing up. And it was so cool when Colin Clark hit the, you know, 90th minute winner to be Dallas, that was something that was spectacular and amazing. But it was something that was organic. It was something that was unique to the two cities, because at the end of the day, two MLS cups are a lot better than zero. And they're also a lot better than zero games played. So I think, you know, in terms of the Texas fan bases, we all have different things that we latch on to. Uh, I think all credit goes to Dallas in terms of their youth academy. I know a lot of guys growing up when, when I played in the Dynamo Academy for a little bit, it was something that not a lot of people were very hopeful of. Everybody really wanted to go to Dallas. That's where you wanted to be. That's where you wanted to develop. And a lot of kids from Houston make that move. They go to Dallas because that's where they feel they're going to be the most successful. And I think that's fair, especially given their track record, especially now with the Dynamo having one academy, uh, product on the field right now, Memo Rodriguez. Granted, he's a very big piece, but that seems like a bad ratio. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would agree with that. And it's interesting to hear other dynamics. I know the dynamic here in LA. I know the rivalry very well in LA. So it's always, and I think, you know, I think people talk a little bit about a ma manufactured uh, rivalry, but the rivalry is really amongst people and fans uh that's not manufactured that's real and that's 
I've been in, I've been in situations where I went to go interview uh, some Galaxy supporters and they brought up my Instagram and they wanted to fight me and they kicked <laughs> me out with cameras and microphones and we were doing like a media thing and that no one manufactured that that happened you know what I mean and that's that there's thousands of stories like that where you cannot get a you cannot get an interview or you can't talk to certain people or the front offices hate each other <laughs> and as weird as it sounds it's I think those rivalries are so necessary there's all these things happening on the outside right all these cultural things that are happening beautiful stadiums big investors even foreign players and stuff but if you don't have that like fandom that real rivalry that's kind of what when you look at other you know when you look at Galatasaray Fenerbahce Real Madrid Barcelona uh the Milan right Milan and Inter those are the sort of uh to me that's the bigger the bigger thing that outlasts players that outlast jerseys that outlast everything that lives on through generations and that goes on and i think that is so important to get mls going in the, in the right directions those real rivalries that's why i asked about Houston, uh, about austin if there's a beef between the cities is there anything else you know where you like meet someone from austin and you have like oh this guy's xyz or whatever you know what i mean because you kind of mentioned like you didn't even you didn't even reference Dallas as Dallas. You're like, well, they're really Frisco, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that's kind of like a little a little nudge to them. And like we say, like, oh, they're from Carson, and they hate. They obviously don't like that, you know what I mean? There's there's that little bit of rivalry. So that's why I asked that question uh, about Austin. One thing maybe you are a little bit jealous of, or maybe you're looking at, is their stadium. Um, obviously, Houston has a a soccer specific stadium, but Austin's is a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. That thing is beautiful. I mean the the money they poured in for that has been absolutely fantastic. And it's no wonder why they can't get a DP or any cool players because that, all the money <laughs> went into that stadium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how important do you think that is? Um, you know, I, I think we look at, I think we look at, uh, you know, uh, there's obviously now you can't come into the league without a, without a, a proper stadium, right? We look at Nashville and what a nightmare that almost turned into, I think it was last season where they were having trouble getting, you know, the, the, uh, the rights to build the stadium. And then MLS was almost going to pull their, their, uh, I forgot what you call it, but they were almost weren't going to, they were almost going to have to back out of the the deal basically. And Nashville wasn't going to exist. That was a possibility (laughs) at one point. Um, How important do you think having a proper stadium is now a soccer specific stadium and then a a beautiful stadium? Right. I think, especially in terms of like overall, like the MLS needs to have as many soccer specific stadiums as possible because there's nothing more unappealing to me than seeing different lines on a pitch, seeing the football field, seeing the baseball, like the, the clay from the infield. That's the worst. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the worst thing on the planet to me. And it also looks so bad internationally when, if there ever play, Oh, look at New York city FC, look at David Villa. He's running around I mean, second. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it looks so bad. And I just, it's, it's something that it is even off putting to a, a casual fan or a new fan. Cause even in the NFL, when the, when the Raiders do it, when the, when they were in Oakland and they would have the, the baseball diamond on the field, I, it was just the most atrocious looking thing. And it made it look like amateur hour. Like you can't yeah. have the only, the only sport that should have different lines on, on the court are is college basketball, because other than that, it just looks so unprofessional and it looks so unimportant. Essentially. I think when you have those lines on the field, it's saying you're not really that important. So I think that's, it's vital to growing the game here in the United States because 
it's not appealing to see those lines and to see the other sports. But if you can center it around this, especially Austin, this beautiful downtown arena, this, you know, that is soccer centric, that is so unique in comparison to everything else. They don't have a team up there anyway in any sport. So when you have this unique soccer stadium, it's, it's something that says, you know, we're putting all, all of uh, all the resources we need to get into it. This is going to be high level football and you need to come to this beautiful place to come watch it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it, the reason I, I asked that, and I, I preface it being beautiful or it being nice, or you executing it the right way from the jump, I feel like a lot of teams, while I haven't been there, certainly aesthetically, I feel like a lot of teams have sort of half done it halfway when it comes to the soccer-specific stadiums. I'm talking about Dallas in particular. I haven't been to that stadium, but when I look at it, I'm just kind of like, it's a bit cringy. It's a bit weird. It's a bit <laughs> awkward to me. And then uh, Chicago's old stadium also. They, it looks like they have like these patios that they built and it just looks, it just looks awkward. It's not football. It's not soccer to me. Uh, and, and I've never, well, again, while I've never been there, it just looked very like, okay, we're going to, we're going to try to do it, but we're not going to do it in the right way. And even when you look at the Portland Timbers, and they were this, I don't know if you've ever been there, but Portland's stadium is so unique and it's such a beautiful place in general where they have it. Portland has such a, an amazing aesthetic. They, they had an old school baseball stadium, but they renovated it. I was able to go to the first game as an LAFC supporter. We, we went with a bunch of fans. And when I saw it, it's like a beehive. It's like an old school European stadium. I, not like the Bernabeu. The Bernabeu is, is very much like a beehive, not that grandiose, but still very beehive-ish, very like, very like intimidating, and it was very unique and very cool. Um, and while for for a long time Portland wasn't doing that, they still were conscious of we still needed to do it the right way. We need to make this soccer specific, and they did that. Um, have you been to the Dal- uh, Dallas Stadium? I have. I I worked there for the. I was working with the U.S. Women's National Team at the time. Am I right in saying what I what I what I said, or am I wrong? Yeah, I, I had to walk around quite a lot of that stadium that day. And I just, it was super bizarre because there's, there's spaces where there's a bunch of like, there's no covering. And then of course it being Texas on a dime, it started to rain. It's hot. So right? or yeah, it's rain, also yeah. about, yeah, it, it went from a thousand degrees to raining. So you <laughs> had everybody and the same thing kind of happened to the dynamo stadium where everybody huddles around the cover because it's so limited. So when you have it like that, like I understand what you were going for. You're going for this, you know, natural look at the sky thing, you know, kind of thing. But when you do that, the people there now have to deal with the elements as well as everybody else. So it just, you know, and I think Frisco, in Frisco, it's been there for a long time. It's not like this, you know, brand new stadium. So not necessarily, you know, fair to compare it to Austin, but also shouldn't be this sort of weird college looking stadium that's that's kind of my point and that's where and you know what and to be fair dallas is a legacy team they've been around forever right it's not like they come into the league and they have to have a stadium uh then you look at new york that's another like gross situation where it's not even like they don't have the money they do they just don't have the real estate in new york to execute a proper stadium they got to go somewhere else and like you said it's weird to see guys like frank lampard it's weird to see you know these superstar elite level you know david via play and like slip on turf that isn't supposed to be there you mm-hmm. know what i mean it's just such a weird thing so it's good to see 
Austin doing it the right way, in my opinion. Um, also, FC Cincinnati, what are your thoughts on this stadium? Another team that seems to be, while they haven't been that great on the pitch, looks like their stadium is going to be pretty dope, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, they're currently in construction right now. I remember seeing uh, on the MLS Reddit, you know, Cincinnati fans um, picturing themselves with the, with the bricks still laying around as they're constructing it. And, you know, they were like, the only way we can watch this game is by hitting ourselves with the bricks still laying around. So, you know, I think as, as struggling as the team was, I think it's got to be really exciting to be like, look, you know, you, this is your home. I think that was the biggest thing the Dynamo did was, you know, this may not be the most spectacular thing in the world, but this is, this is your home. This is where you come for, for Houston soccer. This is where you come for, for, Cincinnati soccer, you know, make it, you know, make it your own, you know, enjoy it because this is something that not a lot of teams have. This is a, something that I think is a blessing and a lot of other teams would love to have something like this. A thousand percent. And you know, what's one thing I remember very vividly of my, my first ever LAFC game was uh, we took, we were able to take the train there. My, my ex was living in downtown at the time. So we took the train, took the train back and, you know, just kind of started bar hopping around downtown ran into some Seattle fans and I bought them a shot. We started talking. We just started and I go, what did you guys think? And he's just, the, the first thing they said was we really want our own stadium. Like we're jealous. And it just, it's so, and it just kind of opened my eyes. I didn't always think of, of that. You know what I mean? Because I've been to stadiums where it's just, it is their home and it, it feels that way. It's, it's, it's natural to them. Uh, and in Seattle, while the whole, like the the whole surrounding area of where Seattle plays is incredible, there's this beautiful like street that leads up to their stadium. There's a bunch of bars. Actually, their their headquarters is literally on that street, and uh, you kind of party there. Then march. They have a beautiful march to their stadium. It's such a really cool, unique experience. But then when you're in the stadium, uh, while it gets very loud and it's crazy, it's still an NFL stadium. The distance between the fans, the fans are, you know, far away. There's a lot of space between the stands and the, and, and the pitch. So while it is imposing, certainly, all of the branding, the color, it is not theirs, right? And, mm. and how important is that? Talk a little bit more about the Houston Stadium and, and, and when you guys first went there, how important it is to feel home and uh, for that place to be your own. Yeah, so like I said, I started uh, in 2010, and at that point, we are in Robertson Stadium, which is uh, University of Houston's football stadium. So oftentimes, you see you know, the football lines, but you also see a giant red cougar head in the middle of the field, and that was the most disorienting thing on the planet. That thing is terrible. But so when the, the announcement comes up, Houston Dynamo are getting their own stadium. I remember being so excited for it and thinking this is going to be, you know, it's right across the street from Minute Maid Park. Um, and, in, you know, in the weird small world that we live in, uh, my dad works in construction. He works in masonry and he ends up getting the job. He ends up getting the Dynamo job. So he is awesome. now the project manager there and he's doing all these different things. So my brother and I got to tag along one day and see, you know, BVA come sitting before it was, it was finished. And there's a, for those that don't know, there's an orange pillar on the top of one of the, um, basically one of the roofs or one of the, the things that come over the thing. There's an orange pillar there for all the people that put, you know, work in from the beginning to, to, to raise it up. And 
you know, luckily for, for uh, me, my dad got to sign it and he made sure to put, you know, all of our family's all names, your names on it. That's so cool. So that was, that was a really cool thing. And I remember when we got tickets to the home opener, I, I was so ecstatic. I couldn't wait to get to the, to the field to see what it was like. And it was just the most packed house. I remember they had Brian Ching and Brad Davis come out and do the ceremonial first goal where they both were supposed to kick a penalty in at the same time. I think Brad Davis is went in first anyway, but they, <laughs> you know, they did that little thing. And I remember the, the anticipation and the, that was the, one of the best atmospheres of Dynamo that I can remember. Cause I remember how crazy everybody was vying for that first goal. He had Javon Watson shooting from outside the box, like nowhere where he should yeah. be doing all these guys like, <laughs> yeah. just pulling up from Galveston at this point, just trying to get that first goal. <laughs> and when it's Brad Davis who winds up the left foot and smashes it in the place just erupts because there couldn't have been a more fitting player to get that first goal for BVA come stadium and for it to be Brad Davis and to, and to win that game was such a cool thing. And I remember thinking, you know, Dynamo made it. They're going to become a really big part of the city of Houston because how many people were there, how hard it was to get tickets and the excitement that was there. I was, I was so ready for this, you know, wave of, of Houston soccer to take over. And then unfortunately, Oliver Luck sells to Gabrielle Brenner, Matt Jordan comes in and we have a quick and very fast plummet into the bottom of the league. And we are now currently having a slow and painful climb back uh, I think we'll be better this year, but it just, I remember thinking this is the point where Houston soccer becomes a staple of the city because we have this beautiful, this beautiful stadium. The field looked amazing. Uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, we've had now all the international games go to Reliant because BVA comes stadium is too small. I think it seats around 22,000. So it's not, it's not tiny, but it also doesn't fit like an international thing. But I remember Pep Guardiola <laughs> coming to town uh, with Man City and he hated BBA Cup Stadium. They used it for training. He couldn't stand it. He thought that place was terrible. <laughs> really? What, what, what was his reasoning? I wonder. What, what did he, say? Uh, he just said the field wasn't, wasn't where it needed to be at. It was, and, you know, Pep Guardiola, I imagine, is very particular about his fields. Uh, so, yeah. He's, he, but he's, I not, thinking, he's not wanting to bite like, his tongue, you know? Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, and the, it was just, I, but I remember thinking, this is, the, you know, this is it. We, Houston Dynamo has made it because, they were, I remember the buzz around it was so incredible. There were so many people around it. The city was, all the radio stations were like, we have tickets to the new, you know, BBVA Compass Stadium opening in Houston to come see Dallas versus DC United. I, I remember it being a big deal because even the, even the, I was in high school at this point. So all the people who were snobbing the MLS and the Dynamo were excited about it. They were like, you know, sure. who, who's going to get tickets? How can we get tickets? So it was, it was, it was definitely a surreal moment when you, when you get that you know, kind of validation of like, we do want to see soccer in your home city. I uh, couldn't agree more. I uh, couldn't agree more. Like I said, uh, I'd gone to Galaxy Games and I had seen, you know, I experienced a- atmosphere, you know what I mean? Like MLS atmosphere and it just didn't hit for me. Uh, but I think me walking into LAFC, uh, into the Bank of California Stadium, like I said, looking around and just knowing every crevice, knowing, and, and there's a lot of fans that feel that also. They feel that this is their home. You know what I mean? They, they went as far as to build the 3252, their own bar that only they can access. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Which is a really cool nod. Um, so I think having those little subtleties, making sure that, you know, like I said, FC Cincinnati might not be the best team in the world, but now they have a home, which is mm-hmm. 
which is everything. That's that might be more important because maybe at one point FC Cincinnati will be good, right? Yeah. But at the very least, you have your home. Uh, moving along to some interesting MLS rumors. Uh, this is something that's pretty near and dear to both of us for two different reasons. Um, so first off, it was I think it was Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, where. Brian Rodriguez, who is LAFC's uh, DP, his their third DP behind Diego Rossi and Carlos Vela. Brian comes from the Peñarol Academy, heavily touted academy. LAFC has a good relationship with them. Um, if you don't know Peñarol, look at Diego Forlan, look at any, pretty much any Uruguayan, you know, superstar has come through their ranks, either them or Nacional. But uh, Peñarol is, is the, the, the bigger of the two. Um, anyway, so Brian came through the ranks. We were very excited. He was doing uh, doing bits for uh, the, the uh, Uruguayan uh, youth national team at the time when he came to LAFC, tearing it up in that World Cup that they had right before he came up, to, uh, right, right before he came over to us. I believe they went to the semis in that World Cup. But uh, basically, Brian didn't really pan out as a superstar DP so far. Uh while he does play on the wing, for Uruguay, he has scored goals. He's banged plenty of goals in. But for LAFC, time and time again, he has, for whatever reason, just not been able to score at a high level. Um, but it's still very apparent. His talent is very apparent. When he's on his, uh, when he's on his day, he's just a nightmare for defenses. Um, so he came out and publicly states that he is in Uruguay right now, but he will not be traveling back to the U.S. His dream is to play in Europe. That says to me that he's not going to play for LAFC next season. I feel okay with that, um, especially with teams like Torino. Um, I believe Bologna, uh, Cagliari were also in the mix, if I'm not mistaken, in Serie A. I think Fiorentina at one point also, but it looks like he's going to sign for a club over there, which is neither here nor there. I was kind of like, okay, that gives us a DP spot, which is something we need. We really need a striker. Uh, then... Yesterday was uh, Sergio Aguero gets mentioned, and I get excited, <laughs> obviously. Um, what do you think about that whole situation? Do you think that's a possibility? How would you feel if Sergio Aguero – do you think it's a good fit? Do you think Sergio Aguero does well in MLS? I think Sergio Aguero does anywhere that he goes. As much as I would love to see that boogeyman leave my life, I really don't <laughs> see it happening yet. I think, I think – if he were to leave, which I don't think is the likely option at this point, I think he does eventually re-sign with City. Uh, I think it bars on Lionel Messi because if Lionel Messi comes to City, there you go. Aguero is, will be happy to resign or whatever. But let's say Lionel Messi wants to go to a PSG. PSG have apparently an unlimited amount of money where they think they can sign <laughs> Messi, anyway. Neymar, and Mbappe. <laughs> I think oh, and Sergio point, Ramos, Sergio Ramos recently too, which is exactly. Thing. So I, I don't, I think the more likely option would be somewhere in Europe, like PSG. I think uh, my brother always talks about how Sergio said he would never play anywhere else in Europe that wasn't Man City. That when he leaves Man City, he wants to go back to his childhood club in Argentina, and then he would retire. I don't know if he still feels that same way. I would be shocked if he doesn't re-sign with City. I think he would be good anywhere. I think that's one of the, I think it's a rumor that's a little too good to be true. I'm not going to believe that that boogeyman is ever going to leave my life until I see him back in Argentina or never playing football again, to be honest <laughs> with you. But 
uh, and you know, it's just one of those things. Like I think it might be yeah. a, a little too good to be true. Agree and disagree. And I agree because he's at a, he's at a funny age where he's 32. He's got some injuries, yep. which that, that is, that starts to be the question. Cause he's had injuries over his career. It's, it's been a thing, right? Um, does LAFC have the money to do that? If they sell Brian? Yes. To me, the timing of those two things is just too weird. It's just mm. too weird. The timing of the rumor and the timing of Brian leaving, um, he has stated that he would like to come to the U.S. At, at some point also before going to Argentina. So he's, he's said both things. He likes it here. Also, his whole, like, vibe, his whole, like, I'm a video game streamer. <laughs> I'm into hip-hop. I'm into, like, you know, the whole, like, Instagrammer, like, uh, influencer vibe. He's very much into that. Mm-hmm. So him coming to L.A., whether I love it or not, you know, whether I like that, that aspect of LA, which I don't, but that kind of suits him. And it's funny because when I think of that, that weird thing, Brian is one of those guys that's all over Instagram. He's in Malibu. He's in, uh, you know, he's at all the famous, like tourists, the pink wall on Melrose where everyone (laughs) takes pictures, which I can't stand, you know, but he's, he's at Runyon Canyon. He's doing all the tourist stuff and he's all about it. He he loves it, but he didn't really pan out for us. Mm -hmm. So, while Aguero, I think, has a little bit of that in him, I think he's, you know, levels ahead of everybody. Um, and the age, while I think it's a funny age, I think it's I think it's the right age where he can still get, you know, three, four. Look at, I mean, look how well Carlos Vela has done uh, mm. since coming to, to since coming to MLS. I think he's at the right age where he can come play a few years, three, four years, do very well in MLS, go back, retire uh, in Argentina. If he signs with City. I don't know that City is super sold on him anymore. You know, while he's been that guy for years and years and years, I think his tenure's a bit up right now. And that's where I, that's where the age and the injuries come into play, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, you know, obviously hearing uh, most of my information from a City fan, it may be a little optimistic, but I know, you know, based off what he's told me that the the club has always said that Aguero will be at city for as long as he wants. So ultimately it comes down to his decision. The only thing that I would say is right now they're struggling to find a contract extension partially because of Aguero's injuries and because they're worried about how, how long he can stay fit or if he can stay fit for a season. I think the LAFC rumor with Aguero being out in COVID right now, it kind of gives him a little bit more leverage to be like, you're going to have to, I think right now it's just, they're both fighting over pennies. Like who's going to get to keep the penny or if they're going to have to give it up. So I think the LAFC rumor kind of gives Aguero a little bit more leverage because right now, in my opinion, he was, uh, he's especially being out still, you know, with COVID, he had lost a lot of that negotiation power, but I mean, we'll see Uh, who knows. (laughs) Crazier things have happened. I am keeping my fingers crossed. I hope that <laughs> happens. We need a striker so bad. And obviously Kuhn is, uh, I mean, he's an elite level striker. So we'll, we'll, keep, in, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you mentioned this, and this is something that I think I didn't really think about uh, when, well, well, first of all, Frank Lampard got let go, got fired, uh, sacked by yep. Chelsea. Um, saw it coming. I saw it coming. I don't know if you did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then you you kind of presented the question on our uh, our scripts. You presented the question: Would he be a good MLS manager? And you know, Frank Lampard had success at Derby prior to going to Chelsea. 
Mm. Um, I don't think the pressure at Chelsea was, I mean, I would say, I don't think that the pressure at Derby was obviously was not as crazy as it was at Chelsea. Right. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's an obvious thing. You're looking at two vastly different clubs. Also, you look at what happened with Chelsea over the summer, the signings they made, the amount of talent they brought in. It was like staggering. Mm-hmm. I had Chelsea competing for the title. But then when once the season got going, I thought, man, you know what? A lot of young, promising talent, but not a lot of, you know, Timo Werner, mm-hmm. Ziyech, uh, Pulisic, who's been in and out, right? And But he's, he's, he's he shined, but not like consistently. He's had his injuries. Yep. And you look at them and they're like, you, you, there's kind of a thought of like, there isn't this consistent guy that can take, like a Drogba back in the day, right? I'm going to take Chelsea, put him on my back. Boom, boom, boom. We're good. Even if we're not playing that well, mm-hmm. right? And that ends up falling on who? On Frank Lampard, unfortunately, right? Right. Now, does that mean that he wouldn't be a good MLS coach? I don't think so at all, actually. <laughs> I think he could come to a place like Houston and do very, very well. I think he could come to maybe a new team. He could come to Austin and do very, very well. He has relationships with New York. I think he's a good fit, in my opinion. You know, What do you think? That's very interesting because I'm actually going to take it the opposite way. So I look at Chelsea going on their 200 million pounds spending spree, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz. These two guys were fighting with Aaron Holland for goal scoring titles. They were just unstoppable in the Bundesliga. And I remember thinking, oh boy, they are, you know, they're coming in for Liverpool. I remember my best friend, Mark, is a very avid Chelsea fan. I remember telling him and my brother, you know, Liverpool are so good right now. They don't need to improve, but they still are. City are improving vastly. Chelsea are improving more than anybody and many other are just sitting there doing nothing. So I was so worried about the Premier League season going into it. I was like, this is just going to be relentlessly brutal yeah. constantly. And then when you have Frank Lampard start to struggle, you kind of say, Oh, well, you know, he's just getting, you know, whatever done, you know, he's just trying to get the squad to gel. I remember he was playing Pulisic really sporadically. Like I remember Pulisic yeah. couldn't nail down that starter spot despite how well he was playing. He was Yeah, he was remember, lighting it up every time he would get in, which was so weird, right? Like, right. They, you had fans saying you have to start Pulisic and he still he <laughs> wouldn't. He would choose Mason Mount over it. And I remember seeing that I've never seen a team spend 200 million pounds and get worse, like a lot worse <laughs> than they were. And the biggest uh, yeah. yeah. The biggest tell to me that I don't think he'd be a good fit for MLS is he threw his players under the bench or under the bus twice. He was like, you know, this loss, it needs to be on the players. They need to be doing well. They need to be doing this and this. And I, I'm just thinking you have some world-class talent over there. Can you imagine when you're going to have the, the, when you've got talent in the MLS pool, like you are, gonna, yeah. you are going to be ready for a shock. Like you're just not going to be prepared for it. But I, I think that speaks more so of, how poorly Frank Lampard was managing, right? Like I, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer may have his, you know, days where he's just way off, his tactics are wrong or whatever, but he's never going to go out there and say, you know, that one was really on Harry Maguire. He, he can't pass two feet in front of him. While that may be true, he's not going to say that. He's not going to throw them to the wolves. I remember the, the city documentary, yeah. you know, Pep Guardiola is talking about that Sterling chance that he misses. He's telling him, you need to score that. You know you need to score that. I know you need to score that. I'm not going to go tell the press that you need to score that. I'm not going to do that. But you and I know you need to get better. He was never going to – he was always going to fall on the sword for his guys. So when Frank Lampard yeah. 
I was shocked when Frank Lampard did it the first time. I was like, okay, that's not a, that's not a great thing. You know, you're already in poor form. Let's go ahead and blame everybody else except for me. Then when he does it the second time, I'm thinking, okay, this guy's out of his element. There was a story about Rudiger and Kovacic going straight to the board about him. And it just, it was reminiscent of when Frank Lampard didn't like AVB, you know, Andre Villas. <laughs> And I was yeah. just like, man, karma has such a cool way of coming around for, for certain things. Like, ah, that is just ridiculous. But I think if you're willing to throw that talent under the bus, there's no telling what you would do with an MLS roster. You know, I think there's a, there's a lot of, a lot that goes into that. And you're, you're super right about that. It's funny that you mentioned that quote, because I remember seeing that on Twitter or Instagram or something, but it was him talking about AV, uh, VS Boas, right. Mm-hmm. And it's you're right. It's weird how it just comes around, and and now you know you're the, you're you're him. Um, but in the same vein of Yas Boas, he's a he was a younger guy coming up, right? The thing about Lampard is he doesn't strike me as a. Did you did you ever see that clip of Henri in the MLS and the way he's he's talking to his players? I love that clip. I love it too. But there's there's some there's an insight into like super elite level players that don't always come across and don't always do well in coaching. It's because Mm -hmm. they expect a level maybe that they produce and they see the game at a much higher rate. You see him Henri would say, that's not football. That's not football. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? That sticks in my head. And it's like, he, he knows that innately it's, it's a part of his DNA. Other players have to work to get to that. Yeah. And I think with Lampard, he expects, he's kind of in that same vein. He's, been a Chelsea legend. He's won everything there is to win outside of you know his England career, which is a was was a nightmare. But at Chelsea, he won everything, and he won it in an era where Barcelona were kings, where arguably the best Man United team over the past 10, 15 years was there. I mean, and those Chelsea squads were elite, and he was the top dog. So I think there's a little bit of that in there. Um, and when you have this expectation of like you said, I even forgot about Kai Havertz. Which I forgot to mention him because that's how almost insignificant he's become, which is crazy to think because he's such a super talented guy, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with Ziyech, same thing with, with Werner, who I don't even understand how he's missed the opportunities that he's made. I just don't get it. Like it, it I, I don't understand, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a little bit of that. I think there's a pressure of him being the guy at Chelsea, wanting to be a successful manager at Chelsea, and then – you're right. You cannot throw the players under the bus. He did for whatever reason. I still think he can come to a, you know, a, a place where he has less pressure and he has to have that understanding of like, look, look we're not going to, I don't have this crazy time because he did have success at Derby. People need to remember that with less pressure, with, with obviously a much less talented squad. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's kind of both sides, but I agree that you shouldn't be throwing your players under the bus. Uh, now kind of pivoting. We have Thomas Tuchel in place now. Uh, we've got some German talent that was in there. Got Kai Havertz, uh, Timo Werner. While he, they didn't play under Tuchel, Tuchel knows him very well. He was at Dortmund. More importantly, you have that relationship with Christian. What do you think that is going to look like? Arguably, Christian's best years at Dortmund were under Tuchel. Uh, someone he knows very well. I'm personally very excited about this relationship. What do you think? Well, I'm not going to lie to you. I am very scared at the moment. I didn't need another person <laughs> jumping into the top, the top four race. And yet, here we are. I don't think Tuchel should have been kicked out of PSG. I don't really understand that move, especially to get Pochettino. I think 
I think maybe that's a play to go get Messi, but I don't really think that was the best move for PSG. It, it's so weird because it wasn't like he was bad at PSG. He got them to the Champions League final. The, the whole weird, like, racism thing that happened last season. I don't know if you how much you remember about that. They were playing a Turkish side, and one of the refs, uh, like in Spanish, the word black is negro. And if you don't speak Spanish, that sounds horrendous. Mm -hmm. Like that sounds like a very bad word, you know? So I believe, I, I don't want to like, you know, say like that's what was said, but I believe one of the, uh, one of the refs or the sideline refs said, which like they asked him, which player was it? And he responded, I believe it was Romanian, but it was a similar word. So instead of saying like, he tried to say it was the black player, he said it in his language, which was similar to saying Negro which is, again, he's just saying black, which is probably not the, the best way to describe a player. You could just say number 13 or mm -hmm. number 12, but Tuchel ended up defending that ref, and it just looked horrendous. Ooh. It was a bad situation, and he kind of argued it like pretty dramatically. What, what ended up happening in that game was both, both teams walked off the pitch because it kind of escalated into something else. Uh, Demba Ba, who was playing on that Turkish team, I can't remember the name of the team, uh, but Demba Ba, who's formerly a Chelsea player, he did, gave a public interview and spoke to that uh, about Tuchel and how he doesn't like Tuchel. So there's that cloud over Tuchel that is still exists from last season. Whether what was said exactly, I can't say. A lot of people can't say because they weren't there. But in general, there's a lot of players that feel in a very feel a very negative way towards Thomas Tuchel because of that situation. I think that is what led to him. That was a really big thing um, that led to him getting let go at PSG. Because you're right, the, 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 from a, from a perspective of, of of results, I don't see it. PSG was playing very exciting. They made it to the first Champions League final. They were this close in that final against a very good Bayern Munich side. So. There's a little bit of that. Uh, I don't know how much you were aware of that, but there's a little yeah. bit of that to that situation. I actually think that was in the that was in this Champions League group stage, right? That was Istanbul Correct. and, yes. and PSG. Yes. So yeah. I had forgotten that it or I didn't realize that Toysho had gone and in, in defense of the referee. Now, I mean, but That's now my only question is is why did PSG wait so long to almost it almost seemed irrelevant like you it felt like if that was the reason you were going to let him go then you would have done it the day of or the next few days not wait as long as you did a thousand percent you look at like what happened with club america and lafc recently you know mm -hmm. piojo gets into a fight there you know he is he doesn't really assault anyone but they grab ante razov and there's this weird thing and america did not like it they fired him the next morning put out a statement that's not what we do here you're gone that's how psg should have handled that if that's the case if that was the situation right that's how right i, I totally agree yeah but uh, you know, getting back getting back to football i think <laughs> unfortunately chelsea now have a a perfect situation where they don't have lampard anymore and they have somebody who comes in he knows christian pulisic very well and he knows how to play attacking football which with this chelsea team is very dangerous because in theory he's now revitalizing Werner and Havertz and even Zayic. I don't know where necessarily Mount fits into that because I think Pulisic now becomes a staple of the side but you have these talents and he's almost sort of a familiar face for Werner and Zayic. I'm sorry Werner and Havertz where he's like I know you know enough about the Bundesliga and everything to connect with these players and to how I can get the best out of them. 
whether he can translate into the Premier League will be an interesting question because we see a lot of managers come into the Premier League and struggle to adapt. So that'll be that's the biggest question mark right now. If on paper this checks all the boxes apart from the anti-racism box, but it checks every <laughs> other thing and it puts Chelsea in a much better position than they were before. Uh, I couldn't agree more. You know, when we talk about foreign um, foreign coaches coming into the league that have had success in other in, in other leagues, obviously you think of Jurgen Klopp, which is almost a like for like came up in the same system. They know each other very well. Klopp has had tremendous success, obviously, with Liverpool. And what Klopp has done with Liverpool also, I think what people forget about Liverpool is that Liverpool didn't have, like, all these insane superstars. Like, Mane was, wasn't this, like, heavily touted super talent. Mo Salah was a journeyman. He, you know, he's not this, like, young up-and-coming talent. And he was able to impose his style of play and it, the system fit those players to where they could become those superstars. Now, with a guy like Tuchel, I, I couldn't agree more in that, you know, while there may be some question marks about can he, can he succeed, I think the, the team that he has in place, I mean, it's, it could be, to me, it could be a, a you know, Klopp 2.0 situation. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see it. I was excited to see Chelsea this season. I'm not a, I'm not a Chelsea fan or anything like that. I, I, you know, I like exciting football. I enjoy the Premier League because you see exciting football day in, day out. And I, th- I thought Chelsea was going to be able to do that. With Tuchel, I think we're going to see it. Um, keeping it moving, Brian Reynolds. Uh, we were talking about the – earlier in the show, we were talking about FC Dallas' uh, academy. This is a bit of a head-scratcher to me because uh, he has not gotten many minutes at FC Dallas. He's come to the academy, which is heavily touted. However, um, he's going to get signed by Juventus. That seemed like that was done. So when you, you know, you brought this up on the script, and I was like, "Well, what's there to talk about?" He's going to, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, no, he's not. He's going to Roma. He was going to get because when I read it, he was going to get loaned out, and then full circle. Now he's at Roma. What are your? What, first of all, what are your thoughts on him? You know, even garnering that attraction. Where did it come from? You know, it's speaking to the level of scouting, I think, that's happening in the States now that we're, you know, on a basic level are starting to become unaware of because they're, they're finding talent that, you know, why wasn't he playing at, at FC Dallas consistently, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that speaks to – Christian Ramirez has brought it up of, like, there were, you know, kind of like this trend of you need to go find the next American Diamond and you're going to go look all across the States for it. And even if they're this, you know, kind of relatively unknown player, if you think he has potential, then you need to grab him now. And I think that's what Roma were so aggressive in hijacking this deal. Because I remember putting it on a script thinking he's going to Juventus. By the time we record this, he'll probably be a Juventus player. And when I remember seeing the tweet, you know, Brian Ren- FC Dallas's Brian Reynolds heads to, and then the tweet, you know, cut off or whatever on my phone. And I was like, all right, Juventus, whatever, sick. So then I remember opening it and reading, you know, FC Roma. I was like, that's not, that's not Juventus. That's not how you spell Juventus, moron. But I remember thinking, wow, that's (laughs) such a, not only did he garner European attention, he garnered enough attention to, for Roma to hijack the deal. They, whether they, you know, saw the same thing as Juventus did, which I'm sure, but they felt he was so good that they needed to make sure he didn't end up at Juventus. You know, I think it's interesting too, in that, when we look at teams like Roma, you know, that have been 
they've been like a this weird club that has always been near the top of 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 uh, Serie A and certainly competed. You know, they knocked out Barcelona a couple of years ago, and they've they've competed in Champions League here and there, but they've never been like they've never reached the heights of Milan. Certainly, never re- reached the heights of even like uh, of, of Inter or anything like that. But Roma's always been there. Uh, but one thing they've never really had, in my opinion. Um, is super crazy young talent. They've always had a lot of journeymen. You know, I remember like Ashley Cole going there, even a guy like Jekko who's been there forever, right? Um, they've always had like really good journeymen. And then maybe a couple guys like they had Chiesa who they ended up selling to, or no, he went to, sorry, that was uh, Fiorentina, but they've had a couple of, you know, up and coming talents, but nothing like, this is a move that, in, that that's very unique to me because this is a move that a bigger club makes in general like Juventus. So the Juventus move made sense to me. They were going to loan him out because they were on the restrictions for their uh, non-EU players. And then once the season was over, they were going to renegotiate and then bring him back in. You know, so it's for a club like that, that makes sense to me to bring these young players in. Roma making these moves is a little bit more interesting to me because they historically haven't been a club like that. They haven't gone and gotten these like younger talents, these younger gems. And to me, for for Brian, I think he gets much more playing time. He's going to get some Champions League, hopefully get some Champions League uh, action down the line. But he's going to be there competing at a high level with a good, solid squad, competing against Cristiano Ronaldo, competing against Ribery, and competing against you know Lukaku and, and, and Zlatan and all these guys that are, that are there. Uh, and I, I think he's going to get a lot more playing time there, even if he was to wait a full season. I think he's going to get a lot more playing time. So I think the move to Roma makes a little bit more sense, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely think the move makes sense for, for Brian Reynolds. Uh, one thing I do think is interesting is I wonder if they saw how well Weston McKinney has been playing. You know, he's garnered his own shine. Like he's he played himself into being a star. But within the American markets and media, Weston McKinney is this, you know, we always see Weston McKinney with Cristiano Ronaldo. We always see Christian Pulisic, we always see these American players and that often garners a lot of attention. American soccer fans like to root for American players. So if you can at least throw your hat in that ring and say, hey, look, American, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can kind of throw your, your your hat in the ring and be like, you don't have to support Juventus. You don't want to look like a bandwagon fan. You can look like a real Roma fan though. That'd be cool. And you kind of kind of throw your, your hat in the ring and be like, pay attention to me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think you're. Th- that's another thing in, in that, you know, people talk about the American market, you know, and, and one thing that I, that me working me working for a, a company like Kids to the Pitch, it was always interesting to me because we worked on the cultural level, on the fashion side, on the art side of things where Europe paid attention to us. It, they pay attention to us in terms of our culture. They love our movies. They love our food. They love our music. But obviously, and in our sports, they're obsessed with that. They love basketball. You know, that's why you see so many good basketball players coming from Europe now. Um, how are they able to get that market in a soccer sense? How have they been able to do that in a soccer sense? And I think for the first time ever, you're seeing it on a, on a broad scale across Europe from Serginho to Weston to Pulisic to, we can go on and on and on, right? where now they're getting an American market from a soccer perspective, which America has always been a superpower and a super force in terms of money. It's always been there. How do they get some of that pie? How do they get into that? If there's nothing that they can produce that's going to interest Americans, now they have that. Not only do they have that, 
you know, it's not like you're, oh, we have the token American guy on the team. It's we have the, we have the American guy that's going to play and going to do very well. So it's going to be exciting. Uh, I think that's another interesting thing and another interesting uh, perspective to think about, which I think is is great as long as he can perform. I think it's cool as hell. So hopefully that works out. Uh, Mr. Alex, is there anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Uh, I'll make this short because uh, I mean, I lost Sheffield yesterday, but it was really great before that when we beat Liverpool, when I, we were intending to, to record this episode. That would have been a great note to finish on. But instead, we lost to Sheffield, so thanks. Maybe not it. Yeah, I'm a Madrid fan. Things are dark. We just sold Odegaard. Uh, yeah, on the same note, on the same note, dark times for Madrid fans. But, hey, we have some MLS to look forward to in the near future. Thank you very much for your time, brother. We will be on again next week. Thank you to all our listeners. Thank you to Christian Ramirez as well. Uh, have a good week. We will see you soon.